you've ever had a bad day? Luke chapter 22. Let's see the bad day. And it's not the person you think. Let's see. I'm not even going to tell you yet. Luke 22, picking it up in verse 39. Lord willing, we will get through this chapter. Oh, I hope so. Coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives, and as he was accustomed, which was it was regular for him to be here, pause, that's why Judas Iscariot knew where he was going to be. And his disciples also followed him. And when he came to the place, he said, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And as he withdrawed from them, about a stone's throw away, he knelt down and he prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And then the angel appeared to him from heaven and strengthened him. And him, being in agony, prayed more earnestly. And then his sweat became, please note with me, like the great drops of blood falling down from the ground. And he arose up from prayer and had come to his disciples, and he found them sleeping from sorrow. And then he said to them, why do you sleep? Rise up and pray, lest you enter into temptation. Would you keep your place here, and let's turn to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. The role of the church is really to bring hope in the world in which we live in. Because you're certainly not going to get it from CNN or Fox News or any other. You're not going to get hope out there. And I don't even want to go off on that today. I I really got to stay put. But this is the problem I have with churches closed. I have a really big problem. They are not giving their people hope. I was thinking this of a congregant, and I'm not going to use his name, but a while ago, and I mean before the madness of the pandemic, that I came into the sanctuary, and he was by himself over here on this side. And I felt the Lord just say, go and give him a hug. And you know what? The hug was not for him. It was for me, and I didn't even know it. You can't do that online. You have to be together, amen? This is important. This is essential. And the hope that people are losing is because they are not in contact with one another today. The church is closed for a diabolical reason. Okay, I'm done with that, amen? I really got to get here. Stop taking me off. But I was thinking about that this morning, about that contact that I had with that guy and how we bo- he needed it as well. Please note that. But both of us just needed that contact. Yes? Hope. And I want you to hear this verse, and I'm thankful that God gave it to me this morning. Look at what Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says. Looking unto Jesus, not man, not the world, only to him. Don't even look to me. Look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And here it is. This is what I want us to focus in on in this section of Luke. Who, for the joy that was set before him. What? 
we're going to read a chapter today that doesn't seem to have a whole lot of joy in it. And yet, the writer says, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Is that not amazing? Remember that as we dive through and go through Luke chapter 22. Go back. He had just finished telling his guys to get ready, gave him their marching orders. Peter said, I'm not going to deny you. And remember how I started today? You thought you've ever had a bad day? We'll see who has a bad day today. And it's not Jesus. Because I just read to you for the joy that was set before him. Alec and I were talking about this just in the booth. Think about Jesus who knows that um, Judas Iscariot is betraying him. He knows that. He knows everything that's about to happen. And yet somehow he is able to kind of block that out and continue on in his task. Guys, we really should learn from Jesus that sometimes there is this over here that we just got to block out so we can get through what we need to get through as Bible-believing believers. And so they come out and they go to the Mount of Olives, as it was his custom, which means pretty much every time Jesus went to Jerusalem, he hung out in this area. And if you've ever been to Israel with us, you'll know why. These trees and these olive trees are beautiful, this garden. And he came to the place. It seems to be his place. And he said to them, pray that you may not enter temptation. Why? Because there's a lot of things that are going to happen in this one day. They're going to want to scream at them and their heart to give up. The situation that's going to befall these 11 men is going to be really a test about who and what their loyalty is for. And who do they really love? And who do they really trust? And so he says, hey, guys, pray. Now, we know from another gospel that he had to take Peter and James and John with him because you know, parents, you have those kids that you got to keep your eye on. (laughs) And he's always taking these three over. They're like, I got to watch these guys. And so he withdrew from them about a stone's throw. And he knelt down and he prayed. And he said, Father, if it is your will, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. The problem is we as believers, when we read that, we we need to put it into context or we're going to miss the point that Jesus is saying because that word cup is important. In fact, that word cup comes up in the Old Testament a lot. Let me read to you a couple of the verses. Just write them down in your notes on the side of your Bible, it says in Psalm 75, 8, For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup, and the wine is red, and it is fully mixed, and he pours it out. Surely it is the dreads, and he shall be, it shall be on all the wicked of the earth, and it will drain, and they will drink it down. That doesn't sound like a cup I want. How about this one? Isaiah 51, 17. Awake, awake, and stand up, O Jerusalem. You have drunk at the hand of the Lord the cup of his fury, and you have drunk the dreads of the cup of trembling and have drained it out. 
And in Jeremiah 25, 15, For thus says the Lord God of Israel, Take this wine cup of the fury from my hand and cause all the nations to whom I send you to drink it. You see, Jesus was about to drink of the cup of the Father's fury. That should be on who? Raise your hand. I'm looking at a lot of sinners in the room. On us. And yet it's poured upon him. And listen, everything that, this is kind of that hard passage to reconcile. Like, sometimes I don't understand what Jesus is saying here. Jesus knows what it's like to be crucified. He's seen it his entire life. He's seen people on the sides of roads crucified. He knows what is about to happen to him. The physicalness of the crucifixion. If I was Jesus, and aren't we glad I'm not, I would have said the same thing. Lord, is there a way that I can pay for the sins of the world without going through the pain, the physicalness of the crucifixion? <laughs> can we just bypass that? Right? Look, dying is not the problem for us because we're going to go to heaven. It's the pain often involved with that. And when you have loved ones who are going through whatever cancer and you're seeing them in their final days and they're in pain, don't you want to take that pain from them? So you can understand what Jesus is saying. But notice with me, nevertheless, Father, I, I submit to your will because it, it is your will that is important. And when we're in heaven, we will say yea and amen to that. Now, verse 43, Then an angel appeared to him from heaven and strengthened him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And I, guys, I, I can't even begin to describe what Jesus is going through. No movie can des describe it or show it to us. But Luke here is a doctor, and he says to us that when he, that his sweat became, and I want you to note this, like great drops of blood. It doesn't mean that it was, it could have been, but you know what it's like when you're working really hard in South Carolina in the summertime when it's 1,000 degrees and 1,000% humidity? And you know how that can just pour off of your head? Well, Luke says that's what it was like. And when he rose up from prayer and had to come to the disciples, he found them sleeping. But notice what Luke adds that the others don't add. They were sorrowful. Have you ever been in that place? You've been so sorrowful, you were dead dog tired. It takes it out of your body. Now, you and I would look at these guys from another gospel and say, oh, they're sleeping. They're not really serious. But we need to look at all of the gospels and don't necessarily come hard down on these guys. They're sorrowful. And he says to them, why do you guys sleep? Rise up and pray, lest you enter into temptation. And while he was still speaking, behold, a multitude, and he who was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near to Jesus to kiss him. And Jesus said unto him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? Now, all four Gospels make mention of this scene, so it's important for us to, to look at those 
and you can go and reread them. A lot of what's going on here is quite interesting. When they come first to him, Jesus says, who are you looking for? And this is the video I want to see in heaven. And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am. Now, he is italics, which means it was added by the translator. He simply says, I am. Where did we hear that before, church? When Moses was standing on the mountain. You know what that tells me? That Jesus was the one talking to Mo. Isn't that wonderful? Remember, the New Testament is the commentary for the Old Testament, and the Old Testament is commentary for the New Testament. And when he says, I am, all of them fall backwards. John, I think it was the one who tells us that there was a cohort, that is 600 troops, 600 Roman troops, plus the temple guard. That's why it says clubs and swords. The temple guard were not allowed to have swords. So you've got both of them there. And so he asked them again, and I don't know about you, but I think I would leave after that point if I was just blown down by the creator God. And then this Luke picks this up, and Judas walks up to him and gives him a kiss. How many of you have been betrayed? Well, pretty much everybody. But betrayed like this? Betrayed with a kiss. I believe at this moment in verse 48, Jesus is still allowing Judas a way out. In fact, he says in another gospel, friend, what are you doing? How many of you call your betrayer friend? Anyone? Raise your hand. Nobody. Jesus did. Who's like Jesus yet? See? That's why we need to keep coming to church. Still body of Christ. Cutting those edges off, pruning it off. Friend, what are you doing? I'm giving you an opportunity to stop. And when those around him saw what was going to happen, they said to him, Lord, shall we strike with the edge of the sword? <laughs> Sorry. And when one of them struck the servant with the high priest and cut off his right ear. So Luke here, very nice. Luke is one of those guys. You want Luke as a friend. Luke doesn't write your sins down. Let me, let me say that again. Luke writes your sins down, but he doesn't tell them it's you. John does. John says it's Pete. <laughs> of course you knew it was Peter. And what Luke says is that Peter is the one that says, Lord, shall we strike with the edge of the sword? Now, where was Peter just a moment ago? On the ground, sleeping. And remember, when they go out, they only had two swords, and Peter's got one of them. If I was Jesus, I would have said, you might want to give that over to Nathaniel. <laughs> we don't want fishermen handling a sword. <laughs> so what does Peter do here? Now, how did we start the message today? You ever have a bad day? Okay, the guy who was having a bad day is not Jesus, it's Peter. And Peter's bad day starts, not in the garden, but with this statement, Lord, I'll die for you. His overconfidence in the flesh before they get to the garden leads him to think that he can wield a sword against 
600 professional Roman soldiers. Now, I give it to him. I love this guy. You know why? Because I am like Peter. I have foot and mouth disease just like him. I am reactionary like him. I love the fact that this man is filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts 2, and by the time we get to Acts 4, he has been a part of one of the greatest revivals. He has given one of the best sermons of all time. 5,000 people got saved after he preached a message and healed a man with John in the temple. This guy is great. And I love him here. Misguided, oftentimes, our zeal, isn't it? He really did prove to Jesus that he was willing to die for him. Now, Jesus tells us in another gospel, Peter, put down your sword. Don't you know I can call 6,000 legions of angels? Now, I want you to imagine this scene in heaven. Heaven is watching what is going on, and 6,000 of them got their hands on their swords. Just give us the call. And then Pete stands up, and they're like, we're going to about to get into the fight. I've been waiting for eternity for this to happen. Woo! And then Jesus tells them to stand down. Peter says, Lord, should we strike with the edge of the sword? And the other gospel tells us, Peter, this gospel doesn't go by the edge of the sword. If you pick up the sword, you will die by the sword. Now, that's not meaning your protection, because we already read last week that Jesus told us to protect ourselves. What he is saying is this message of the gospel, this new, and I hate to use this word, this new religion that is going into the world will not go by the edge of the sword. It will go by love. And it will transform lives in a way that the sword will never do. I've been around the world, and I've seen Islam up close, and that's not love. That is obedience by the sword. And Jesus, aren't we glad, doesn't tell us to do that. You can be a believer or not be a believer. It's up to you. Are you ready for it? You can go to hell, or you can go to heaven. Isn't that wonderful? That's not fair. Well, at least you got a choice. I don't know where I am. Oh, Jesus says in verse 51, permit even this. And he touched the ear and he healed him. John tells us it's Malchus, the high priest. And listen, I don't know about you, but if I was all those guys and I saw an ear lying on the ground and a guy picks it up and puts it on and he's healed, I think I'd go home. But the world sees stuff all the time. And they are just as deceived as everybody else. I didn't see an ear on the ground. What do you mean? You know, those fact checkers. You didn't see the ear that you saw on the ground. Wait a minute. I saw an ear on the Yeah, but it's not on the ground. Okay, thank you, CNN. But what does Jesus do? Jesus picks up our mess. Our mess. How many of you have lopped off ears? What's your count by now? What are you on? 300? 400? Jesus is still cleaning up our mess. And I'm thankful for that. 
but it also it grieves me that I have grieved people and hurt people when I didn't mean to. Do you think that Peter meant to, to really harm this guy? In a, actually, yes. He wanted to kill him. But Jesus made a point from that point on, as the church, we don't do that. Everyone else does that, but we don't do that. And then he says to the crowd, when I was with you daily in the temple, did you not try to seize me then? But what is this this hour and the power of darkness? He goes, guys, I was in the temple. Why didn't you seize me then? And we all know the answer because the people would have saw it and they would have rised up. And why do they pass laws in the middle of the night? Why do they have these And I just heard of this recently, uh, some other state, and I can't remember the state, that had a 1,400-page bill. It was given to the the state representatives at 5 o'clock in the morning, and they were supposed to vote on it at 7 o'clock. Why did they do that? So they can hide it. Why are they coming to Jesus now? So they can hide it from the people. Because they are afraid of the people. Uh, again, I don't want to get political right now, but um, if everything was revealed, everything tomorrow, what would happen in Washington? <laughs> they would be in Europe. They would flee because they know they have been lying to the American people for decades. If everything was revealed, that's why it's done in darkness. That's why it's hidden from us. All right, let's keep going. Let's have a bad day. Now, you just lopped off someone's ear. Are you having a bad day? I mean, aside from the guys that are going to pick on you for the next 30 years, do you need some glasses, Pete? Having arrested him, that's Jesus, they led him and brought him into the high priest's house. But Peter followed at a distance. So this is a sham trial. It's done at night. It's against the law of Moses. I know this is shocking, but these political leaders are doing and having a court case, and it is illegal by their own law. They are violating their own law on day one by walking into the Lincoln Memorial without a mask on. Isn't that funny how that works? Nothing new under the sun, guys. But here is the bad day. Take your highlighter, your pencil, circle these, because Peter is having a bad day. And how do you get to the point where you deny Jesus? How is it that we can deny Jesus? When we say, Lord, we will never deny you. We'll be strong for you. So how do you do it? Well, you have overconfidence in the flesh. We just saw that, right? And what's the second thing? We follow Jesus at a, underline it, a distance. How far are you from Jesus? Can you see him? By the way, thank you. It does my heart well to see you look down and do what you just did, is highlight and underline. Guys, we're studying the Bible. Most churches don't do what we're doing. You're learning. Aren't you excited? You're learning. When you were in school, you could care less. But this is life and death. This is eternity. This is the one who gave his life for us. 
so that we might know him better. I don't know about you, but, you know, we've done enough tomfoolery in our life, so let's do it right. And how do we learn? Well, we can always learn from Peter. Don't follow at a distance. Where are you? How close are you with Jesus? Can you see him? Can you hear him? Well, pastor, I haven't heard Jesus in a while. It's not his fault. It's your fault. It's always your fault. It's always my fault. When I don't feel close to God, it's my fault. It's not his fault. Peter followed at a distance. Verse 55, now when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard, he sat down together and Peter sat among them. Now, in the other gospels, it says that he warmed himself by the fire. Everybody got that? Second thing, or which is actually the third thing now, by the way, I will lose count of my points, so whatever point I'm on, three, is that you want to betray Jesus? Sit down with the enemy. Not only sit down with the enemy, but warm yourself by the fire of the enemy. Guys, there's a reason why the Bible tells us to be separate from the world. Would we not agree that the world is warm, enticing? Sin is pleasurable for the season. The Bible says that. If sin wasn't fun, no one would do it. Amen? It's fun. It's pleasurable. Peter, from a distance, and now he gets close to the enemy. How close are you to the world? How warm are you (laughs) right now? This isn't one of the, I should have just put it up on the screen, warning this message is offensive. It's for us to look at our own lives, our own hearts. Where are you? It's not by happenstance that you're here at Calvary this morning. God is trying to get your attention. Wake up and listen to what he's telling you. Have you been following Jesus at a distance? Are you warming yourself by the fire of the enemy? How about this? And then a certain servant girl, seeing him sat by the fire, looked at him intently, which means she was studying him. Like, I've seen that guy's photo on Apostles Weekly. You'll get that later. She looked at him intently and said, this man was also with him. Here it is, verse 57, his first denial. Woman, I do not know him. Has someone ever said to you something about Christianity or church or Jesus and you said, I, I mean, I go to church, but I'm not like a fanatic. Stand with Jesus, even more so in the day in which we live in. You will be rewarded by that. Everything that we give up for this life, Jesus will reward us in the next. And by the way, just for a helpful tent, this world really isn't that good anyway. Woman, I don't know who, who he is. I've never seen him before. And after a while, verse 58, another saw him and said, you also are of them. But Peter said, man. Now at this point, he's we're going to see, because... In the third one, he cusses, and and the Bible doesn't give us that, but we know that he does. He uses the current 
of the day profanity. But now you can see kind of him getting a little mad. I mean, don't you say that when someone says, you know, come on, man. That's not me. I'm not doing that. Man, I am not with him. And then about an hour had passed, and another confidently affirmed, saying, Surely this fellow also was with him, for he's a Galilean. Translation, he's a hick, he's got an accent. They could pick out the Galileans. They could probably smell Peter coming. He says, you are not from Judea. You're a Galilean. And Peter said, verse 16, man, I do not know what you are saying. I don't know this man. How is Peter able to deny Jesus three times? Overconfidence in the flesh, right? Then wielding and using his flesh... <laughs> to help God, remember the sword incident, following Jesus at a distance. Now, John tells us that John went right into Caiaphas' palace. He He didn't follow Jesus from a distance. John, because of his family, was able to get right in the door. He is around Jesus. He didn't follow Jesus at a distance. John was there. So don't say it couldn't have been done. It was done, and it was done by John. Peter chose to be at a distance. Uh, The more the persecution ramps up in this nation and around the world, the more people will say, "Uh, I don't know that man. And they will start to distance themselves. You will either be Peter in that instance or John. John wasn't afraid. John was 17. I love the boldness of the youth. You get an on-fire young person, it is contagious. It is so wonderful to see youth serving youth. I know, sorry, broken record, Arrowwood. The whole reason why we're building this camp is to give kids the opportunity to use their God-given talents and abilities for the kingdom. John was that man, 17-ish. Now, what do you think is going to happen when he made that statement? What's immediately mean? It means immediately in the Greek. While he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. Now, by the way, tradition tells us, and this just stinks for Peter, but tradition tells us for the rest of Peter's life, Peter heard people uh, doing the rooster behind him and crowing. Now, we have consequences for our actions. What if Peter Peter would have said to the Lord later on, Lord, would you just remove the cock crowing behind me? No, I'm not going to do it, Peter. You have to live with your consequence. That just stinks, but it's kind of funny too. What if people started doing what we did? Oh. Immediately the cock crowed in the King James, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. The Greek tells us that he scanned and he found Peter, eye to eye. Man, what is that like if you're Peter? Now, note with me the difference between Judas Iscariot and Peter. 
Peter is sorrowful. He goes out and he repents. He comes back. Judas said, I betrayed innocent blood, and he hung himself and he died, and he went straight into hell. What do we do when we make mistakes? What do we do when we make mistakes? Do we run away? Or, verse 62, do we weep bitterly? And the idea is of repentance. Like, what have I done against my Savior? 63 says, now the men who held Jesus mocked him and beat him. Having blindfolded him, they struck him on the face and asked him, saying, prophesy of who is the one who is uh, striking you. And many others, uh, other things, they blasphemed uh, and they spoke against him. In Hebrews chapter 1, we just finished that on Wednesday night, that Jesus holds all things together. That he created all things and he still holds them together. The thing I find interesting about this is because later on he goes before Pilate and Pilate says, behold the man, or the idea is, is that still a man? The Bible says that he was not recognizable as a man after this. Now, if you know what's happening here, when you and I, let's, let's, I'll go with Jimmy because I don't think I can take Ed, but I can, I might be able to take Jimmy in a little bit longer fight. We'll just bring our lunch. Let's say Jimmy and I are duking it out, and he's throwing some, right? Well, if I see his punch coming, what do you do? These are helpful Pastor Ron's tips, right? If you see a punch coming, what do you do? And if you know you're going to get hit with that punch, I am amazed by boxers. Anyone else? I mean, I can't really watch fights because I'm just like, ooh, that, oh, oh, that's broke. Ah. So I, can't, I wince all the time, and I, I can't. But... If a boxer knows he's going to be hit, what does he do? He goes with the punch so that he doesn't receive the full force of that punch. Do you see my head how it moves? Now, blindfold Jimmy and let the rest of the guys in morning uh, uh, men's group hit on him. And now he can't go with the punch. He receives the full force of it. That's a beating like no one has ever seen. It's hard to get through some of these passages for the joy that was set before him. You mean he was joyful to be beat? Yeah, because he knew that you would be with him for eternity. After these three days, I know I <laughs> try to make light of a lot of things and bring humor into my messages. It's hard to do that here. This is a real man, fully God, fully man, a real man being beat to a pulp. Other gospels say sticks were used during this time. They were beating him. Not only the scourging that happens, and if you don't know what a scourging is, watch the Passion of the Christ, and you'll see a tenth of probably what happened to him. 
and the amount of blood loss that happened to him. He didn't have an IV. He couldn't get recharged. They gave him nothing to drink. He received all of it with full force. And it's just a little bit of it here. He'll get more of it later. Not only that, as they blaspheme the name of the Creator on high. Now, I'm not a vengeful person, and I, got, I have to keep asking God to take that away from me, but don't you, is, is there a special place for these guys somewhere? You laid your hand upon the Creator who holds your hand together. Now, as soon as it was day, the elders of the people and both the chief priests and the scribes came together and they led him into the council. Uh, don't you hate religion that would beat a man like this and say they're doing God a favor? Jesus will even say that. He says, when they bring you before the leaders in the council, they will think that they are doing God a service by mistreating you. And I look at this scene, and I love the Jewish people with all of my heart. And I love the Jewish nation because God tells us to stand behind them. I do not stand behind the Jewish leadership here at all. How could they beat another rabbi? Just that. Not even Messiah, just another human being. You see, when you dehumanize somebody, you can mistreat them. When Nazi Germany was in full force in the 1930s to the late 30s, how can they kill 6 million Jews? Well, you can't do that overnight. What you do is you have years of propaganda saying that they are not human, that they are rats and they spread disease, that they don't deserve their rights. They don't deserve a voice on Twitter. You take a group of people and you dehumanize that people, therefore you, you then can be okay with mistreating that person and ultimately locking up that person because they disagree with you or have a different voice. Jesus had a different voice. He disagreed with the religious leaders. And they canceled him for our time and purpose. Jesus would not have any social media platforms today. And you need to understand that this is nothing new under the sun. Listen, my, my hope is this, that very soon we just hear the trumpet and we're gone. Wouldn't that be great? Amen. Hey, that'd be awesome. Get right out of here. But what if it doesn't? What if we have to go through the fire? And what if God is really, I was hearing a pastor yesterday talk about this, that 2020 was really a time of sifting the church, seeing who was loyal to God, who would stand up for him. Maybe what is coming is a removing the wheat from the tares. 
allowing the church to be stronger in the midst of the fire because we know when we're in the fire, who is with us? Do you see the good news? Like I started bad, and you're like, that's depressing. But then Jesus is with us, and then what could go wrong? Are we at that stage? I don't know. I know that every time the church is persecuted, the church is stronger. <laughs> Charlie Kirk, maybe some of you uh, know him from the podcast that we've put on some links. He's a wonderful young man. He was just with uh, Jack Hibbs the other day. I was watching that and a couple of the other Calvary pastors, and he said, I was just with another Calvary pastor who said, uh, Tom, you'll, you'll remember that he goes, in, in 2020, are you a cruise ship kind of Christian? or a battleship Christian. And I thought, that's glorious. Because in the United States of America, we want to get saved and have buffet the entire time. I mean, what is, let, don't fool yourself. What is a cruise about? Eating everything you possibly want. And then when you get off, you go on this massive diet. Don't fool yourself. But is it a battleship Christian? You see, when we become followers of Christ, we are in the Lord's army. We signed up for it. We didn't sign up for a buffet of easy. There is no easy. And this is the problem with history. And the church doesn't know its own history. The church doesn't know what it's like to be a believer for 2,000 years. Because all they hear from their pastor is everything's fine. You can be the best you you can be. What? What does that have to do with my persecution that is coming? Jesus went through the fire from the religious leaders. And I believe where it will come from is from the church. Sad, isn't it? Where did Jesus receive his the most persecution? The left? and the right, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Where will we expect the liberal side and the ultra And I already see it. I hear it. And it's driving me crazy. But I have hope in Jesus. Why? For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross so that you and I would be with him. Isn't that good news? Let's finish. If you are the Christ, they say, that's the Messiah, the chosen one, prophesied from the Old Testament. Are you the Christ? Tell us. But he said unto them, if I tell you, you will by no means believe. Would we agree a great big amen to that? It didn't matter what I even posed to you. If he did a miracle in front of them, they weren't going to believe. Why? He's done miracles for three years. Walked on water, feeding the 15,000, healing a leper, not been done. Guy dead, up from the grave. Who's that? That's Lazarus. Oh, we got to get him off Twitter too. He says, if I tell you, you will by no means believe. I don't want to make it about this, but you know you have family and friends, coworkers. And they're always talking to you about Christ and how can you believe that and give me the proof and all that. And you, you want to say the same thing as Jesus? If I tell you, you're not going to believe anyway. 
You've seen God work in my life, my family's life, in this church, in all of these situations. He's done all of that. And then you, you dismiss all that. There's a funny old time, uh, old um, end times movie, sorry. And the main character isn't a believer and the woman next to him is a believer and she's trying to talk to him and he says to, he says to this cup that's sitting on the table, God, if you're real, knock off this cup right now and I will believe. And she's trying to say, that's not how God works, right? But in the scene, he gets up, he knocks the table, the cup falls off, and she looks at him like, he just did it for you. (laughs) Sometimes God does that, doesn't he? I love how he does that. He makes me laugh. He says, you guys aren't going to believe. And then he brings it right back to them as we know he does so well. And if I also ask you, you will by no means answer me or let me go. The idea is if I'm the Messiah and I'm from the line of David, you guys should be putting a robe on me and welcome me and bowing down to me. But you're not going to do that either because that means your power base is gone. Hereafter. It's like his last statement to the religious leaders. Hereafter, the Son of Man, and they all know this title, Son of Man. It's from Ezekiel. They all know this is a messianic term. The Son of Man will sit at the right hand of the power of God. They all know that only the anointed, the Messiah, would sit at the right hand of the Father. They all know that. What did Jesus just say to them? This whole argument I hear often is that Jesus never claimed to be God. What Bible are you reading? He just said that. Again, this is the problem in the church with its inability to know the context and their actual own Bible. This book, guys, isn't to be read just on Sunday and Wednesday. This is the manual for your life. And everything is in here. Open it. We even made it easier for you. It's called a one-year Bible. It's got the date on it for you. Hereafter, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power on high. And they all said, listen to their response. Are you then the Son of God? Question is, you just said that you were the Son of God. Are you really telling us, the Sanhedrin, the 70 religious leaders of Israel, that you are the son of God? And he said to them, you rightly say that I am. He said he was. And they rejected him. And they said unto him, what further testimony do we need? For we have heard it for ourselves from his own mouth. And I think to myself, how many people have heard it from the mouth of Jesus for 2,000 years and like the religious leaders rejected that message? And continue to reject the message of Jesus. In the days in which we live in, there is no excuse not to accept Jesus Christ. He has laid down his life. Not only that, but he gives us his Holy Spirit to live this life. In victory. Uh, I don't mean to end it this way. Victory could mean death. What greater love than, than a man towards his friend that he would lay down his life? 
my life, your life is a living sacrifice. And you haven't figured out what a sacrifice is? <laughs> it's consumed upon the altar. My life should be an, a, a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord. Your life should be a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord. Are you far away from God today? It's not his fault. Can you see him? If I can't see him, then maybe it's time for you to get back to church in a Bible teaching church. Next week, Lord willing, we will look at Jesus before Pilate, and then we will see the religious leaders make an amazing statement. Let him, let his blood be upon us and our children. And yet God tells us as believers to love the Jewish nation, to love the Jewish people, for they are his people. Father, we thank you again for your chosen people in the land of Israel. We know, Lord, that when you're done with us, the church, the grace, the church age, that you will redeal with the nation of Israel. Lord, we see all of these things falling into place. They're lining up. We ask, Lord, that you would give us the strength to live this life, to not deny you, to be strong. For as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, and we will accept the consequences of those statements, whatever that is, that we would stand against evil, Lord. We stand against anything that comes against allowing us to be together as the body of Christ. And so, Lord, we thank you. We praise your name. We thank you, Lord, for Peter, who had a really bad day and yet was restored. And, Lord, we will be so thankful to see him in heaven. We thank you, Lord, for your grace upon Peter's life and upon our lives. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. And again, Lord, that you would strengthen us in these days. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.